Lead us from darkness to light, from lower truth to higher truth, from the unreal to the real, from the illusion of death to immortality, and reach us through and through with thy sweet and benign presence. Om peace, peace, peace. Let's go right on now to chapter 16, which is on the board. That's the business at hand. Daiva Sura Sampad Vibhaga Yoga. Only in English, it's the yoga of the distinction between the divine temperament and the demoniacal temperament. It's a very useful, kind of practical. I've often said that Krishna gives most of his esoteric and his mystical and his subtle truths out front in the Bhagavad Gita and seems to wait to the last two or three chapters to really give the, a lot of the practical teachings as far as morality particularly is concerned. Here we find his unique way of discussing morality, not so much in a conventional strain, but more in a way of making a very stark and strict division between those divine qualities and those qualities which are non-divine or worldly or worse. So you notice that I really started Sloka 6 there, and I go back later to discuss 1 through 5. So let's do that, because 6 is more to the point. He says therein, Dvau Bhuta Sarga o Loke. Loke means world. Dvau Bhuta Sarga means there are two types of beings in this world. The divine and the demoniacal. The divine has been described at length. Hear me, O Partha, about the demoniacal. This is the sloka which defines between divine and demoniacal. So he says in the very first five slokas, we'll just read them outright. And guess what's first? Abhayam, fearlessness. Abhayam, satasam shudhir, which is purity of heart. Jnana yoga, vyavastiti, steadfastness in the knowledge of yoga. Danam, you know what dana is? Giving of alms, giving charity and so forth. Yagya, sacrifice. Doing everything is sacrifice. Svadhyayaha, what's that? It's one of the niyamas of yoga. Study of scriptures. And tapaha, austerity. And arjavam. Arjavam means straightforwardness forthrightness. On to the second sloka, ahimsa. That's, of course, non-violence or harmlessness. Satcham, truth. Akroda. Kroda is what? Anger. anger. So akroda would mean absence of anger. Tyagaha, renunciation. Shanti, peacefulness. Apaishunam, absence of crookedness. Might as well say straightforwardness again. Daya, compassion. Daya Bhuteshu, compassion to all beings. 
alolupvam, uncovetousness, mardavam, gentleness, hri, modesty, achapalam, absence of fickleness. Third sloka, tejaha, vigor, kshama, forgiveness, dritti, fortitude, saucham, purity, adrohaha, absence of hatred, atimanita, absence of pride, and that's sampadam daiva, the state of those who have divine nature. So those three slokas outline for us the divine nature. Fearlessness, purity of heart, steadfastness in knowledge and yoga, almsgiving, control of the senses, sacrifice, study of the scriptures, austerity, straightforwardness, non-injury, truth, absence of anger, renunciation, serenity, absence of calumny, compassion to beings, uncovetousness, gentleness, modesty, absence of fickleness, Vigor, forgiveness, fortitude, purity, absence of hatred, absence of pride. These belong to one born of the divine state, O Arjuna. So he comes right forward with the divine traits in the first three slokas. He doesn't even mince words. He just states them right out. You walked up to Krishna and he turned to you and he'd say, Abhayam, sattva samshudir. There's no, how's the weather, you see. <laughs> It's just, <laughs> what are you telling me? <laughs> the straightforward truth. That's the divine nature, those who are born of divine nature. And he tells Arjuna, fear not, you're born of a divine nature. So in case Arjuna is saying, my God, do I have all those? As he's going through various doubts and problems. Yes, Arjuna has those. Sloka 4. He also doesn't mince words. He just starts right on into listing the demonic traits or demoniac traits. Dampo, hypocrisy. Darpa, it's a bad one in the West. Arrogance. Just go drive a car and you'll see how arrogant the Westerners are. Abhimanaha. Yes. Self-conceit, he calls it here. Or egotism. Krodaha. Wrath, parusyam, harshness, cha, and agyanam, ignorance. Parusyam, cha, agyanam, harshness and ignorance. Those <coughs> who have these are born of a demoniacal state. So he pretty much encapsulates those in a short list. Ostentation, arrogance, self-conceit, anger, and harshness, and ignorance belong to one who is born for a demoniacal state. Then he goes, The divine nature is deemed for liberation. The demoniacal nature is for bondage. Grieve not, O Pandava. That's Arjuna's clan. You are born for a divine state. That's a sloka 1 through 5. Sloka 6, he states, there are two types of being in this world, the divine and the demoniacal. The divine has been described at length here from me, O Partha, the demoniacal. So he gives the divines in detail, then he gives a short list on the demoniacal to contrast it. Now he's going to give you the long list on the demoniacal, and it's pretty long. 
it goes 7 through 21, sloka 7 through 21. He says, they know not what to do and what to refrain from. They have neither purity nor right conduct. No truth is found in them. They say, the universe is unreal, without a moral basis, without a God, born of mutual union, brought about by lust. What else? So that's their idea. Well, they got it half right, didn't they? The universe is unreal. <laughs> they just went the wrong direction with it. They say it's unreal, and then they grasp onto it. But the devotee says, or the one born of a divine nature, says it's unreal and lets it go. You see, It's without a moral basis. There's a key, you see, because you, you noticed in the list of the divine traits how many of the yamas and niyamas were there. There was study of scripture, and there was non-covetousness, and there was peace and all of those, contentment. Those are all the yamas and niyamas of yoga. Those are your basic moral exercises and your spiritual disciplines. Five and five, there are ten yamas and niyamas all together. So those were almost a list. You might even see how Patanjali came up with some of them, how many of the great rishis have been influenced by Sri Krishna. Uh, so many of them, if not all of them. Here is a key then. The universe is without a moral basis, so they don't have a conscience, so they do anything. They don't know what to refrain from, and they don't know what to do, and when they're doing things, they're even unsure of it. And when they're doing things, and they're doing things bad, uh, they may not have a conscience, but they have a sense of guilt nevertheless inside of them. And he gets to that. Holding this view, these ruined souls of small intellect and of fierce deeds rise as the enemies of the world for its destruction. I like the way he puts that. Of small intellect and fierce deeds. <laughs> so, what's your definition of a great being? A conqueror? Alexander the Great? Napoleon? What's your idea of a great being? Most of the world is calling these beings of small intellect and fierce deeds great beings. We should know the difference, at least. Filled with insatiable desire, full of hypocrisy, he mentions that again, which is key for the politics of the day and the religion. Pride and arrogance, holding evil ideals through delusion, they work with impure resolve. Beset with immense cares, ending only with death, regarding gratification of lust as the highest goal, and feeling sure that that is everything. Bound by a hundred ties of hope, given over to lust and anger, they strive to secure, by unjust means, hordes of wealth for sensual enjoyment. That's their whole purpose. They say, This today has been gained by me, this desire I shall also fulfill. This is mine, and this wealth shall also be mine in the future. I shall gain it. I am rich and well-born. Who else is equal to me? I will sacrifice, I will give alms, I will rejoice. Thus they are deluded by ignorance. Interesting that that people <laughs> that selfish can also give alms and sacrifice, but they're doing it all for the wrong reason. They're doing it, say, the way we might give something to another country so that we gain something back from them. It's all with a selfish motive if they do that. If they do give alms at all or do anything apparently good for anyone, it's all got this underlying calculativeness to it and it's insidious. It's just a type of hypocrisy, as he says. It really describes a, a lot the politics and religion of the day. 
the conventional politics and religion. Bewildered by many a fancy, enmeshed in the snare of delusion, addicted to gratification of lust, they fall into a foul hell. So gratification of lust means lust not only for sexual objects, but also for wealth, any kind of lust. And in fact, he pretty much talks about lust and fame and gain in the same way he did when he was born as Sri Ramakrishna. He's noting that as being the three main problems of the world. Remember how Sri Ramakrishna put it, that kind of worldliness, and that's pretty much name, fame, and gain, attachment to name and form, gain of wealth, and fame for popularity's sake, and so forth. Self-conceited, stubborn, filled with pride, and intoxication of wealth, they perform sacrifice in name only for ostentation, disregarding ordinances. Rich man came to Sri Ramakrishna when he was living and looked at him and then assessed in his mind, oh, he must be a real Paramahamsa. So he walked up to him and he said, you're a real Paramahamsa. Will you do a certain sacrifice for me so that I can get wealth? There's a certain sacrifice. If a Paramahamsa does it for you, then it'll come to you. And Sri Ramakrishna said, what a mean-spirited person to ask a Paramahamsa for wealth, for money. You can get that anywhere if you just go out and work a little. So that's the kind of thing here. They they disregard all ordinances and they just go after what they want in the most unseemly way. And again, he repeats here that they sacrifice in name only for ostentation's sake. They do sacrifices, but they do it in name only. I would say that this was happening back in Krishna's time, because even the Asuras knew that if they did sacrifice to the gods, they'd get things. Suras were the gods, the Asuras were the demons. And the demons were not completely devil-like. They weren't like our devil in the West. They had some good qualities mixed in, but it was all for the wrong reasons. But nowadays you won't find the rich doing any kind of sacrifice whatsoever in that way. They don't believe in God, they don't believe in religion, so they wouldn't do that. So some of this doesn't really apply to them, and it's a shame that it doesn't. Given over to egoism, power, insolence, wrath, these malicious people hate me in their own bodies and those of others. So they hate God wherever it appears. And you'll find that out about them if you broach the subject of spirituality or God or any kind of religion to these people. They don't want to hear it. These cruel haters are the worst among men in the world. These get hurled, these evildoers, into the wombs of demons only. Entering into demoniac wombs, these deluded ones, in birth after birth, fail to reach the goal, and they fall into a condition still lower. For triple is this gate of hell, destruction of the self. It's called lust, anger, and greed. There are those three again. That's the triple gate to hell, lust, anger, and greed. Therefore, should one abandon these three? You might say it's even practical to abandon these three. If you could convince these people that those are what's leading them to their suffering and their condition. A man who is liberated from these three gates of darkness practices what is good and thus goes to the supreme goal. So you see how Sri Krishna teaches how he treats the subject of morality. He just makes a blunt statement about it. It's not like, oh, try and be good or don't be bad. It's like, here's the nature, divine. Here's the nature that's demoniacal. Now, let's see where you fall, you see. 
and he also offers a way out, as any good world teacher would. And so he tells us, if you give up these three gates of hell, if you give up lust, anger, and greed, then practice what is good for you, then you'll come to the supreme good. It's that simple. It's up to you. For that one who casts aside the ordinances of the scriptures, acts on impulse and desire, attains not perfection, nor happiness, nor the supreme goal. And that's on the board. So we read through 7 through 21, Asura Sampat. That was what was called there. So Daiva Sampat is the divine nature. Asura Sampat is the demoniacal nature. Daiva and Asura. Divine and demoniacal. That brings us to what I just read. Sloka 23. He's talking about authority of the scriptures. And that goes into Sloka 24 too. I'll read that again. That one who, casting aside the ordinances of the scriptures, acts on impulse of desire, attains not perfection nor happiness, what to speak of the supreme goal. Therefore, let the scriptures be your authority in deciding what ought to be done and what ought not to be done. Having known what is said in the ordinance of the scriptures, you should therefore act here in accordance with that. So, And that ends the chapter. It's a very short chapter. So it's very interesting. He just makes a blanket statement, cut and dried, distinct between the natures. He doesn't, again, mince words at all. And that's what we'd like to hear, I think. You go to people and you ask, oh, how do I be good? Or what is goodness? Or what's morality? Or am I being immoral? And they give you all sorts of foggy answers. And you come away not feeling sure. But when you go to an illumined soul, a world teacher particularly, they'll tell you right off the bat. And that's what you want to hear, because then you can proceed from there. You have something to go on, rather than never hearing and always saying, oh, I wish someone would come and tell me. So you finally found a person who just lays it out. There's a divine nature, there's a demoniacal nature. Now, you might say there's the potential for all of that in everyone, because the mind, depending on the mind, which way it goes, if it starts buying into the triple gates of hell, lust, anger, and greed, then it'll start reflecting those. Shyam Krishna used to say, if you put a crystal in front of a red flower, it'll turn red. If you put the same crystal in front of a blue flower, it'll turn blue. So that's the mind. You're putting it in evil company or you're putting it in good company. Or better yet, put it in holy company. If you put your mind in holy company, all those some scars in your mind <coughs> that remember anything holy you did or any kind of holy association you had in your past lifetimes will come to the surface because it's being accented by that same samskara in a holy person. So you can leave off evil that way and you can get to good. And then from good you can get to better, as Swamiji would say. Better, of course, meaning divine company or holy company. And make of yourself that lamp. Be a lamp unto thyself, Lord Buddha said. You have everything within you necessary to do that. As he said here, you have to act on it. Follow that way, and you will reach the supreme goal, he says.